Welcome to Off Trail Learning. This is Blake Bowles. Long, long ago, before everyone went to school and that was just the normal thing to do, most young people learned through work, through apprenticeship, through working hard on the family farm, through, you know, indentured servitude. Okay, okay, that's not what we're going for here. Um, but learning through the actual act of value creation for other people, uh, through entrepreneurship, through actually engaging in this real world instead of the, the false world of school, which has its, its importance in you know, many ways. Um, but many young people don't feel that school is related to the real world. And those are the young people who really benefit from working at a young age. And again, we're not talking about reversing child labor laws here. Uh, you know, that's how work used to be used. It used to be, uh, you know, the kid worked to, to pay for the family, to help support the family. For most of us, that's no longer a primary concern. And so we are free to indulge in work as a learning experience. And my guest today, Sean, has done that since a very young age. He grew up unschooled and then made the decision to not go to college and instead continued his self-directed learning with employment and with entrepreneurship. So if you know any young people who are hungry for real work, point them toward this episode and point them toward offtraillearning.com, and they'll find lots of options there. Without further ado, here's Sean. My guest today is Sean Ritchie, a 29-year-old grown unschooler and the founder of a design and build company in Kingston, New York. He's also an investor. Sean is a longtime friend, and I'm really happy to have him on the podcast. Welcome, Sean. Hey, Blake. It's great to be here. We are talking about your decision long, long ago to not go to college, but we can only understand that with the context of what you were doing before not going to college. So let's start there. Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up in the Hudson Valley of New York, which is just a couple hours north of New York City. Um, I never went to any uh, traditional K through 12 public or private school. Um, my, uh, my mom and, and father kind of made that decision, uh, early on. I was in Montessori preschool when I was young and for whatever reason that just really wasn't working out too well. And so, um, at the time my mom was kind of casting her eyes around looking for what other options might be good for me at the time when I was, you know, this is pre-K and through that research kind of stumbled into, um, a lot of sort of the early writings around, um, homeschooling, but also in particular unschooling as a concept. Um, so, and uh, out of that, just sort of, kind of just pulled me out of Montessori preschool and just thought, hey, let's just give this a whirl, and maybe we, maybe we'll circle back around to it in grade school or later. And um, and you know, for for our family, for, for me, it it worked really well. Um, and uh, and you know, they my parents had the capacity to you know mostly financial capacity to have one of them. Um, it was mostly my mother over the years. It was my father when I was younger, but mostly my mother um, not work and be at home full time with me and my two younger siblings. Um, and so, yeah, that really ended up being kind of a an interesting uh, experiment that worked out really, really well for me. Um, so, so what did your days look like as a, a young Sean Ritchie? You have a little little pipe in your mouth reading a book, you know, the Canterbury Tales maybe by the fireplace. Yeah, it's interesting. So one of the things that's really interesting about that is that um, 
my my experience growing up and and in some ways like the educational philosophy that was co-created by my parents and me um, was different for me than it was for my siblings like um, my sort of day-to-day engagement was was much more unstructured um, than it was for my siblings um, and Again, I think that was just partially my parents reacting to my personality, which is like pretty self-directed and pretty kind of get up and go. Um, so it evolved over the years, depending on my age. Um, when I was, you know, kind of, uh, you know, what would have been grade school and middle school age, um, it just involved a lot of um, a lot of out of the house activities. So. Um, uh, there was some, a wilderness program that I was involved in that was once a week. There was uh, there was a, a youth dance company that I was involved in. Um, so being involved with choreographing and performing, um, and and then uh, sort of a lot of the sort of quote unquote traditional academics for again through that period that kind of um, like first through sixth or seventh grade time um, was really just sort of learned through engaging and moving through the world um, and not in a formalized, you know, there was no workbooks, there was no testing, none of that. Um, of course, then later in my early teens, um, there definitely was some more kind of formal sit down engagement around some of those, you know, as we're coming into times when algebra and pre-calc kind of stuff is like, you know, there's, there's really no way to approach most of that stuff other than to, to sort of formally study it. Um, so, and then moving into my, moving into sort of my high school years, um, it, it evolved to, you know, again, working with, working with some individual, um, or, or group context tutors on some specific things. Again, mostly math and science a little bit. Um, and then later, and then later in my uh, when I was like six, from like sixteen, seventeen for a couple of years, that also involved taking some classes at a, at the local community college. Um, and you're doing some work during these years too, right? I believe you were working at a bike shop. You were helping build your parents' house. Yeah, so that was the other that was the other sort of big piece um, was that I, I've sort of always always been out in the world uh, doing things. So, so the examples you gave are accurate. So you know, um, working in a in a retail shop, um, kind of behind the scenes um, when I was kind of thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, working in a bike shop, both as a mechanic and a salesperson. Later, when I was kind of fifteen and sixteen, um, and then um, just continuing to be engaged in sort of like. Uh, Sports and wilderness stuff, um, also sort of uh, both that was both like led and facilitated by guides, and also just like my own pursuits. You know, got really into cycling in my teens um, and rock climbing a little bit, and so you know, finding people who were older and better at me to do those things with. Um, so, yeah, it sounds like a pretty well-rounded uh, unschooling life. You have the outdoor stuff, a little bit of academic stuff. You have work and, and internship. So yeah, it's almost like a like a model uh, youth. Well, and in some ways, like that's you know that's kind of why I say that it like in some ways feels like it was it was a, it was an experiment in a lot of ways, given that there was even a lot less sort of available guidance, and these are some things you can try for my parents to utilize. And so, in some ways, it was really kind of a like design it as we go kind of thing for my parents and me. And um, and so, like I said, it's, it was an experiment that worked out really well. And, so. so when you were taking those community college classes, I assume that's when you were starting to think more seriously about four-year college. What was happening then? Yeah, so exactly. So like, um, you know, 
coming on around, around age 16, I was really starting to kind of, given that I'd never been in a traditional classroom concept, really, truly, um, until then, again, with the exception of some of these sort of, sort of smaller group, um, you know, almost like tutoring contexts, um, I was really, so I, I felt like I really wanted to experiment um, with, with what that was like. And so the community college was the really easy and accessible way to do that. Um, and, you know, simultaneously actually get some college credit in case I wanted to then later go on and continue on to a four-year school. Um, so originally, you know, so the initial, initially going into those classes, it was, it was less about thinking specifically about preparing for or setting myself up to apply for, for college and more just about like um, wanting to see how that was, wanting to see if I was good, if I could be good at that, you know, test taking is a really specific skill set um, that if you haven't done a lot of it can be a kind of a new skill set to acquire, which it, um, which again was one that was, did feel a little new to me, but also one that I picked up and became good at very quickly. Um, and, um, and so yes, then after like a year, year and a half starting to be like, okay, is this going to be the trajectory? I'll say that like, I think it was, it was an assumed thing that I would go to college, um, both for me and I think for my parents. Um, so that actually starting to question that um, was was sort of again stepping outside of the just traditional framework that we kind of been moving moving forward with. So, so what was your first exposure to four year college campuses? Yeah, I did some I did some kind of that, that classic. I don't you know whenever people do it in their sophomore year, whenever junior year, when you start driving around and visiting campuses. I did some of that, um, and. Um, was mostly pretty underwhelmed by that experiment, um, and and then uh, and then I'll tell you like that there were there were definitely aspects of it that I could get really on board with and get really excited about. And what came up as as in some ways like one of the biggest factors that really led me to deeply deeply question it were the financial or the finances of it. Um, my my family fell into this kind of uh, like like the what I think of as like the trough of doom for college finance, <laughs> college finances. Which that's, is, an, that, that's an official term. I've heard that before. Yeah, exactly. Which is to say that, that my family made enough money that we did not qualify for, uh, for most uh, need-based scholarship with the exception of loans. Um, and then obviously there is some merit stuff available depending on the institution, but that that was, you know, obviously going to be a, a little bit of a hit or miss thing depending on where I went. Um, and, and so the bottom line was that it was going to cost tens of thousands, um, with the possibility of even going into six figures, um, for me to, you know, pursue a, pursue a, uh, you know, a four-year degree, which, was something that my parents were, were totally on board, um, you know, supporting me financially to do. But that di- for us, that didn't mean that they were just like, oh, yeah, we can and or will pay for that. Um, kind of the framework that we had was that whatever whatever the cost ended up being, we would do something that we would kind of split 50-50, which would have involved borrowing a lot of that money. Um, and so that ended up feeling like a big thing for me where I, I pretty quickly went to the place of, well, sheesh, like what else could you do for this amount of money? Um, or what else could you do for a quarter of this amount of money? Um, mm-hmm. and, and that ended up being a big, a big factor in me starting to look around the world and think about what some, of, what some of those other frameworks could look like. I feel like there are so many people in that situation who, who do look realistically at the finances and they say, man, $50,000, that is so much money. I've, it will take me so long to pay it off. But, but they don't see another realistic option. You know, the, their career goals or aspirations – 
whether they're specific or vague, are tied to a four-year degree. And so it's it's like it's a different kind of doom. It's it's like that I'm just going to have to owe all this money, and there's no other reasonable route around it. So it, it, why didn't you feel that way? What, why did you feel like there could be other possibilities? Yes, I think I think some of that comes down to that my interests didn't necessarily lie in fields that really are set up around very specific accreditation. Um, so you know, like I didn't want to be a mechanical or materials engineer. I didn't want to be an architect. I didn't want to be a doctor. Um, you know, these these fields that you know I think really rightfully so have some some very smart people that have sat down and said these are the these are the standards of knowledge base that we want everyone working in this field to have. These are the these are the tests, the, you know, these the accreditation tests we want them to take. And so we need to build programs, whether they be, you know, four, five, or eight years, that then prepares people to to both pass these, you know, these, these examination bars and practice these these fields with integrity. Um, so because my because my you know so my, my my piece on that is that if that's what you feel like you want to do then the way our society and our system is set up is that you kind of have to pursue that uh, more traditional route. For me, um, uh, my my interests felt more like they fell just into sort of the more broad um, liberal arts um, with some, you know, with some specific interests in some of the, the, the really the ways that humans interact around things. Um, you know, I had a strong, That's very broad, Sean. Yeah, exactly. Which I think, I think is quite common for that age. Um, and so I, I'm saying it that broadly on purpose because I think that a lot of people go into liberal arts degrees because partially because they are so broad and there's a sense that they will kind of expose them to a lot of things and help them, um, you know, find what it is that they want to delve deeper into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so my assessment was that if what I wanted to do was explore the world and figure out what I wanted to get really good at, that that was something that I didn't need to pay someone $90,000, $50,000, $30,000, whatever that number is, to help me do. A lot of people do feel that way, though. Uh, do, you, do you credit your your youth as a self-directed learner, as an unschooler for for giving you that confidence to be able to explore and expose yourself to, to new areas that you're not yet aware of? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, right. So because we started at the beginning, it's, it's, we've somewhat illustrated that, you know, it, it wasn't a new concept to me around how to say, you know, pursue an interest um, or figure out a way to explore or, you know, find someone who is an expert in a field to talk to. Like these, these were not foreign concepts to me. Um, so I think that that my unschooling upbringing and the way that you know came about really set me up brilliantly um, to then take this on as an adult, um, and and it's a muscle that honestly that like it's that I've continued to develop. You know the muscle of self of sort of self directed self created pursuit, um, and 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 you know kind of acquiring base level knowledge bases around areas that I don't know much about quickly. Um, and it's, it's like one of the things that I'm now really good at, um, and that helps me do anything that I want to do in the world. Um, so I, yeah. What about the community aspect? The, you know, you're going to meet your best friends in college. Uh, you know, how else do you meet 18 to 22 year olds? Uh, that's, that's perhaps, you know, a much larger driving factor for a lot of people that help them rationalize the debt, rationalize the time investment. Yeah. So, uh, the social thing, so 
to step away from college as a framework in general, uh, it's, you're losing a whole bunch of structure and support on multiple levels. Social is one of them. Like we were just saying a minute ago, like pursuit of interests and academic pursuits is another, um, you know, my answer to that is, is, you know, move or and or live somewhere where there's, where there's thriving culture. Um, and be engaged in the neighborhood, be engaged in the area. So, you know, if you live, if you live in an extremely isolated rural context, um, by, by design, you will have access to fewer people. If you live in a small to medium to large size city, um, you will by definition have access to more people. Um, so that it, you know, in a lot of ways, the design of colleges is basically that they're small, you know, basically towns to cities um, where you interact with people in very specific sort of um, created social situations. And so, you know, that, that exists in, in, in the normal world and it's basically called where we live. Um, so being intentional around where you live and how you're engaging with that space. I thought you were going to say that exists in the normal world and we call it a commune or a cult. Uh, but no, uh, yeah. college campuses are, are open communities, not, not closed ones. That's right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's get into some nitty gritties. What, what did you do instead of going to college? You're, you're, I'm assuming you're 18 or 19 at this point. Yep. Tell me about that, that decision, like when you finalized it and what you decided to do instead. So what I decided to do is I basically decided to start selecting my work, my like professional engagement in the world um, based on its educational value. Um, so initially that looked like um, working for free a little bit. Um, so doing doing some sort of like internship-like engagement um, for a nonprofit in the area, which quickly quickly led to paid work with that same organization, um, like in less than six months. Um, and then, and then, um, ultimately it kind of culminated, um, in me deciding to co-found a company, um, with, uh, two other people, um, which was going to be trying to, which basically was to create a, a, a building company, a residential building company, um, that was going to be focusing exclusively on really energy efficient building, um, which may sound familiar because it's also the company that's, I own a very similar company today. It's not the same company. <laughs> so, so people might look in from the outside and say like, ah, oh, Sean kind of knew what he wanted to do, you know, early on in life, you know, 19, he decided he, he wanted to start a company. He's doing the same thing today. Is that an accurate picture? It's not. Um, I think that, there's like there's that word of caution, which is like be careful, be careful what you get really good at, um, because then it's likely that you'll it's it's more likely that you'll spend a couple decades doing that thing. <laughs> um, so I, at the time, I, I had I had a strong interest in um, in just sort of like environmentalism broadly, um, and through the work that I was doing at the nonprofit that I was working for kind of stumbled into how, how important of a role uh, building energy efficiency was going to play in reducing energy consumption um, for the U.S. And so through that, got really fascinated in energy efficient building, pursued some education around what sort of what, what some of the best practices currently. Um, and then I also had some building experience that I had worked for some contractors in my teens, like some working summers. So I had a little bit of baseline building experience. Mm -hmm. And then, um, my business partner in that project was a 
more experienced builder. So I kind of brought some of the more sort of building science pieces to the table and he brought more of the trade experience. Um, and my framework was that I just really, um, I really wanted to find a way to engage that work. And I had talked to most of the builders in the area and found that no one was really pursuing the energy efficiency work in the way that I saw there was an opportunity to. And so somehow that kind of just parlayed into like, sheesh, someone should do this. And then, you know, meeting this older guy that had trade experience who was also thinking about starting a company and he and I started talking and out of that conversation kind of, we kind of aligned that there was an opportunity and that we wanted to kind of give it a whirl. Um, so my framework with that was that I, again, I was young, I was 19. Um, so I was, I was not in a, like a, Oh, this is, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life place. It was very much an ex, a short term experiment. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so, um, and just to be clear that we like started that company, did a handful of really interesting projects and then, and then also, and then failed it financially and folded it up. Um, that partially had to do in great parts with timing, um, which is that, you know, we started the company in 2007. Um, and so, you know, then the 08 crash came a year and a half later and we basically folded in half with that crash. Um, but that year and a half to two years that I was working on that business was like some of the most brutal, but also highest quality education I've ever received in my whole life. Um, because when you start, you know, people think about you start a company, all you're going to be good at is whatever the thing that company does. When you start a company, you have to get good at like that thing plus 10 other things. Um, <laughs> because you all of a sudden have No, to like, I agree. Right. You have to like all of a sudden understand how to, you know, learn how to read a balance sheet and profit and loss statement. You have to learn bookkeeping. Um, you have to learn legal stuff because there are contracts. So you're going to work with an attorney to develop contracts. You're going to learn about legal jargon and how contracts come together. Um, you have to learn about insurance and liability. Um, you have to learn about human resources and hiring people and firing people and all these all these different pieces um, that end up just like being. It's almost you know you often see on a liberal arts uh, curricula you know that like you have to take at least two or three classes in, in seven of these ten areas, um, and it, it really becomes that. Um, your, your first and often second company, um, which is just like you're, you're building these, these, you know, um, baseline to like medium depth knowledge bases in all these ancillary areas, um, which then, which are all the things that, that really make or break the core concept of the business working or failing is whether or not all that other support stuff is in place. Um, so. and, and you've used the phrase, uh, a bachelor in entre entrepreneurship before to describe this period of your life. Um, but I, it really sounds to me like it was more than just entrepreneurship, Sean, because circling back to what you were saying earlier about, uh, you know, what were you going to do instead of going to college? You said, I'm going to kind of give myself an education through work and, and purposefully choose work that kind of helps me learn the stuff I want. I would have been learning anyways in college. Yep. And so you, you've connected your, your interest in your broad interest, in environmentalism and energy efficiency and then also your skills that you kind of built up a little bit as a teenager in, in construction and renovation and just and smashed it all together into this one big sort of educational experiment, this kind of like massive learning opportunity, uh, which also happened to pay the bills. It paid the bills partially, just to help clarify that part, which is that like it paid the bills until the economy folded in half and it went bust. Um, and, yeah, so – that, that that you know that I I left I left that business in uh, the, the the I left the process of failing that business with a little debt, um, which I then had to you know 
work, work. Uh, I, I made the personal choice to then live at home and work and pay that debt off, debt off quickly to then like, so I could reset my finances, um, and basically go out in the world and try again. Um, <laughs> so even your bachelor in entrepreneurship left you with some debt. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of is, a weird irony to that. Totally. And, but honestly, you know, it's like, it, it left me with debt, but it also left me, you know, there's this, there are all these statistics that fly around about, you know, whatever the average entrepreneur fails two to three businesses before they start their first f- successful one. Um, there's also this really interesting study that I read once um, that was specifically about um, people who were starting ranches where they were raising cattle and and where they, they pulled those people's self-perception of their ability of the, uh, to run their business. And, you know, when they pulled them at the beginning of their, when they started the business day one, um, you know, they had this relatively high sense that they were going to be able to do it. And if you pulled them a year later, it was much lower because they had just run the business for a year and done a lot of failing. And then it, it took an additional three years for it to get back up. This is again, self-perception of their, of how well equipped they were to run business to get all the way back up to the, where it was, um, on day one. Um, and so that experience was very real for me, you know, that I was like, I was young, I was cocky and, um, and, and having that experience of being like, Oh, wow. It it doesn't, you know, you work, you can work really hard and try to do everything as best you possibly can. And it can still not work. Um, that the the educational value of that was, was transformative. Um, so by the way, I have a cattle startup, Sean, I was hoping you might invest in. Yeah, no, no, no way. The numbers are terrible in cattle, aren't you? (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Um, what about your, your peers, your, your kind of general peer group during this period while you were doing, you know, starting your own business, uh, taking the entrepreneurship route. Did you yeah. have friends who were in college? Did, I mean, what, what did your friends look like at that point? Yeah. So I had some friends who were in college for sure. Um, and I, that's a good question. What did my peer group look like then? Um, so I've always mostly had a smaller group of close friends rather than a large group of acquaintances. Um, as in like the, the people that I'm seeing weekly, seeing regularly is usually, you know, that's usually been a relatively small group. Um, so, um, yeah, it was, so it was a mix of people who were older than me and who were already post college and people who are currently in college and living nearby. Um, that would be kind of the main, the main, the two main categories I'd say of the people I was hanging out with at the time. And when you saw your friends who were who were in college, um, going through their motions, did you feel like you were missing out at any point? Were there was I there any to, any twinges of regret? Then there, so then there was. I definitely had the question mark. You know, I did have a lot of opportunity in front of me as far as schools that I could have gone to, and um, so I definitely used. I, I think I, I questioned at least once a year until kind of my middle twenties. Um, you know, so for probably for seven, eight years or whatever, like whether or not I had made the right choice around that. Um, later it was more about whether or not I was going to someday want to go to grad school. Um, and whether or not, not having a bachelor's was going to be a hurdle that was going to stand in my way of being able to do that. Now I've, so, so yes, that definitely was up some for me. Um, but mostly I was really excited about what I was doing and also just like really busy doing what I was doing. Um, you know, working a lot and hard. Um, so that's really distracting. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that'll keep you away from twinges of regret pretty, pretty well. Yeah, for sure. Um, and just in general, when you, 
uh, kind of look out at the world of, of college graduates, and maybe we shouldn't generalize so much, uh, the college graduates who come from the types of colleges that you were thinking about going to. Yeah. Um, do you, I don't want to say like, how do you compare yourself to them? But um, again, looking at, at those who did choose the traditional college route, the traditional <laughs> liberal arts route, um, uh, where do you feel like you, you and, and that group of people are, are different? So there's a couple big things. One is that so the trajectory this led me down was basically being a full a professional entrepreneur. Um, that since you know since I started that first company, um, I've really only worked for somebody else once, um, and it was later on in my 20s. And it had to do with again, it was it was a choice to go work for somebody because I had a specific skill set that I wanted to deepen. That I chose that company based on that I thought they would be the best equipped to help me develop that skill set quickly. And then I left as soon as I brought that skill set to a place that I was like, oh, now I feel good about this. Um, with the exception of that, like two-year period, um, I've basically only started companies and worked for myself um, in my adult professional life. So um, because, of, because that's kind of the road it really sent me down um, and because that has worked out very well now, um, which is that now I have this successful business um, that I make a really good living and that I love running. Um, it has worked out wonderfully. And that my assessment now, you know, s- sort of sitting at the end of my 20s going into my 30s, um, is that is that I'm like anywhere from 10 to 15 years ahead from traditional mark- on traditional markers from the majority of my peers. Um, uh, traditional meaning... What, what income or sort of like a, a career development in that Corre- sense? Correct. Career development, um, financial, um, so income, net worth, uh, you know, assets, you know, what, you know, the fact that I'm, you know, sitting in a home that I own um, and that I'm like looking right now for my second building um, to buy um, and that I have no personal debt and money in the bank and a business that makes money and pays me well. Um, like by all those traditional markets. Yeah. Those sound nice. I'd like those one day too. Um, what about kind of feeling uh, culturally, intellectually on par with your peers? Is there anything that – I'm go, we're going back to like the – just like the, the post-college years. Um, did you ever feel – well, I'm just going to let you go with that one, Sean. So the other piece is that like – I've just always been deeply fascinated in the world um, in general. So, you know, I also just like read a tremendous amount and obsessively research things that I come across that interest me until I feel like I understand them better. Um, so there's like there's there's personality stuff here that that I just feel like it's less about structure and more about um, well, it is part about structure that I, I created a situation for myself where I had time to read every day or whatever that I made that choice. Um, like maybe instead of watching TV or maybe instead of going out and drinking or whatever, whatever some other of those choices might've been. Um, but, um, uh, but you know, that I, that I sort of on like whether on how well rounded I am as a person who engages the world. Um, I yes. think I'm, I think I'm really well rounded and that's partially because I've like, you know, pursued just through my curiosity around the world, you know, anything from traditional philosophy to, you know, design, 
ideas, you know, whatever, just yeah. whatever those various things are. Yeah, yeah. The, the reason I asked that is because I feel like a lot of people think about these traditional stories of, of those who drop out of college, who go into tech, who start their own businesses and feel like, well, if it even if it worked out for them financially, they probably missed out on some big part of, uh, you know, coming back to the exposure argument uh, or, or the community thing. Like they're kind of good at doing one thing but not good at – at doing others, um, but in, since I know you personally, I know that you are an incredibly well-read, knowledgeable person in all these fields beyond the one that you work in. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to sort of dissuade people from from going down that line uh, of, of thinking. But but maybe this is just you. Maybe this is your unique story. And there are people who really do shoehorn themselves into uh, a certain narrow technical field. Uh, what have you experienced? Sure. So. I just say that, like, for one thing, that like, which is kind of true as a generalization of any divergent decision you make in your life, which is that, like, by by choosing to not go to college, I by definition missed out on things. Um, I missed out on whatever the unique social and academic experience of going to whatever that school would have been. And so there's there's whatever I would be a different person today if I'd done that, almost certainly. Um, that, that being said. Um, my assessment is that whatever those things that I missed out on were far outweighed by the positives of the things of like the experiences and knowledge bases and opportunities that I've had by not doing that. Um, so can we make any sweeping generalizations about whether or not, um, everyone should or should not go to college? No way. Um, like there, there, there are lots of contexts where going to college is going to be a really good choice for somebody. And I also think the thing that, that feels important to me is that, um, there's so much cultural narrative around if you don't go to college that you'll be shortchanging yourself and all this stuff. And that's what I think is just like, is, is not true a lot of the time, um, that you are going to have to work a little harder and recreate some of those very specific frameworks that college creates for you. Um, and that's the biggest thing is that like, you're, you're going to have to hustle harder, but that's because you're exchanging personal hustle um, for, you know, you're instead you're going to, you're going to do personal hustle instead of writing a big check for a pre for a prepackaged framework. Um, sure. Are there days that like, I, I like wonder what my life would be like if I had gone down that other road, definitely. Like, I, in some ways, I wish there was possible to do like an A B life study where we like, you know, send send one version of Sean to four year school and then to you know whatever Stanford Business School and see what happens to that guy. Um, but that's just you know, but that's not how the world works. We live in a three dimensional world, so you can't do those kind of things. Um, not yet, Sean. Not yet. <laughs> Sometimes, Sean, I, I try to hit uh, Control Z in the air when I've done something oh, in my totally. life, like I spill a drink. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Yeah. So what happened after this uh, initial uh, experiment with, I believe it was called Deep Green Building, the one that yeah, collapsed that's soon correct. After, the, after the world collapsed? Yeah, so the next major thing that I worked on um, in kind of the couple years following that project, um, close, you know, closing down, that, that business closing down, um, was a not-for-profit project called the Learnerlism Project, which I co-founded and ran with, uh, with my girlfriend of the time, uh, Sophie Terrio. Um, that project was basically uh, a, a, a journey, like a, a really just like kind of um, blog, like video blog and writing blog, kind of low, scale, low budget, um, low scale journalism framework that we created for ourselves to explore some questions that we were having around the world 
mostly the question of um, what are some ways that humans are creating some really um, some really powerful solutions to some of the social and environmental challenges that our society is facing. So we basically um, did a did a, a year long project where we where we both being based out of uh, Vermont, where we were living at the time, and also doing some traveling around around North America, um, did a lot of sitting down of people who we were interested in what the, the projects they were working on and the kind of things they were doing in the world, and interviewed them um, about their process and about how they were working and how they were designing and how they're creating things in the world. Um, some of that um, was then produced into written and video stuff that we then shared out with the world via a website that we built, um, and actually a lot of that material sat. Uh, is now just sitting unedited and unproduced uh, on a hard drive in my office. Um, again, because the the primary, I think, I didn't know, I didn't, you know, at the time I was really presenting that project to the world as like, oh, we're going to do this whole thing and present this and present all this material, and it's going to be about sharing out these success stories of the world. The truth of it really was was that it was about Sophie and me trying to find to create a framework to answer some basic questions we were struggling with personally, and once we had kind of done that year's worth of heavily heavy research and you know dozens and dozens of interviews and we started to felt like we'd we had run the project to the to its usefulness for us personally we truthfully just really lost the passion to then finish producing the material um which is like i'm not super proud of but it's also the truth of how that went down so yeah well i I think it's awesome that instead you know you're bouncing back from this this kind of business collapse and instead of just doing the the safe thing which is going and getting a job in a related field you kind of continue your your self-directed learning and you're exploring you're doing stuff that doesn't seem to me to be like immediately profit driven in fact I'm I'm even curious if if this was coming off of the the tale of you know kind of moving back into your parents house and paying off that that little bit of debt that you were left with uh, from the company folding um, how did you fund a, a, this year long sort of investigative journalism project yeah, so I I kept my personal finances extremely lean um, for most of my life, um, and so that you know really what that looked like was um, was like really you know not having uh, you know not not spending beyond what I was making or usually spending a lot less than what I was making at any given point, um, and what that enabled me to do was do things like. Um, you know, pay off that debt quickly and then save some money. Um, and, and so, and I was also, you know, when I was working on the journalism project, I was also working part-time um, to like kind of pay the bills um, it, with the exception of like the sort of four and a half month period when we were traveling. Um, and um, we also fundraised for that project. Um, and that was an interesting, that was an interesting experience to, um, to, to do that fundraising. Um, most of that money came from people kind of, it was mostly, you know, through 20 and 30 and $50 donations from our personal network. Um, and then a little bit of money from some wealthier, you know, some, 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 some smaller, like, you know, a few hundred dollar chunks from, from some wealthier individuals. Um, so that was that was partially that was that was a big part of how we funded the going out for a few months and doing all that interviewing, um, and but that also raises the stakes pretty significantly because then you have people that are saying you know I gave you money to do this project that had outputs and whether or not you have those outputs, um, so yeah ah, the magic of crowdfunding yeah um, 
Well, I, I want to circle back to a few more questions about the, the whole skipping college thing. But before that, I want to hear the, the condensed version of between the Learnalism Project and, and what you're doing now. Yeah. Uh, just give me your life story. Yeah, so that was the point at which I really actually decided that um, that I was that I was actually really genuinely interested in designing and building really brilliant, highly energy efficient, beautiful structures. That was actually something that I really wanted to try doing and doing really well. Um, and the thing that I figured out that I felt like I didn't have um, in order to do that was just like uh, a deep uh, level of subject matter expertise around how to how to do really excellent carpentry and finish work. And then also some pieces around like just how to do really good like layout, um, you know, how to take a really complex set of blueprints and turn that into a building over the course of a few months or a few years. Um, so I went and worked for a very established high-end custom home builder um, and basically worked with them building a, you know, very, very fancy custom architect designed home um, and came in at a, at a fairly just like staff carpenter level um, and then quickly kind of worked my way up through to be someone who was, you know, playing, playing more of that role of helping to coordinate pieces and, and, and oversee the kind of really key pieces of finish work happening. And that was the thing that just like set me up then pretty brilliantly to then go back out on my own and start this second building company called Threshold Builders. Um, which, which, you know, cause that, cause at that point I had the ability to, to basically be the kind of ultimate, uh, sort of backstop for the quality of work. Um, so all right, Sean, you used the phrase much earlier in our conversation, uh, self-directed personality. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the whole nature and nurture question and how it relates to this world of unschooling and self-directed learning and, and taking your own path through the world instead of following the traditional one. And, and it relates back to um, who can do something like like you did and successfully. And let's just you know talk about it in the c- context of not going to college. Um, so I'm going to let you take a crack at that just broadly. Who do you think is qualified? You know, do you need to have this this self directed personality, some sort of innate drive that's there beforehand, or can that stuff be learned? So I think that like the kind of like the tactical skills of of how to um, like create opportunity for yourself and and find mentors and those kinds of things that 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 is the that, that those kind of just like tactical on the ground day to day stuff that that can be learned. Um, I feel like the things that are going to be kind of like you have them or you don't by that point in your life are going to be some of the things around like do you enjoy working really hard. Um, and do you, um, you know, do you get passionate about something so that you like, it keeps you up at night and you wake up in the morning thinking about it. Um, and so that like, because those are kind of the things that like make everything in the world happen pretty much. Um, like I feel like when you, when you peep behind the curtain at most success stories, um, there's like, a, there's, there's just far less narrative in sort of our cult, the way culture talks about success, about just how much hard work is behind most traditional success stories and non-traditional, whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, he's a successful artist or, or people in business or whatever, whoever these people are, um, that like that most of those people have like incredible work ethic and discipline. Um, and so those, which again, all those also are, are somewhat learned skills, but there's also like, a you know, just who you are and what you wake up in the morning thinking about a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so the answer to the nature and nurture question is always both. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Which is, you know, going back. Yeah. So like, so right. So was the fact that I like was being asked the question, what do you care about in the world and what are you interested in and how can we find a way to pursue that? And that I was like being asked that question from like a very young age and being helped to build the muscles around how to answer those questions. Sure. That was huge. That was huge in setting me up to do this. Um, could you learn those skills as an adult? Definitely. Um, you know, so yeah. Yeah. Maybe with a little bit more time and pain and effort involved and then unlearning of of previous habits and beliefs yeah and then of course you know just the other piece which is just around like how much of this is about me as an individual and how much of this can be applied to most people i think it's impossible to talk about these things without talking about privilege um just more broadly um you know i am also like i'm a white man so like the world the, the doors of the world are the most open for me as they are to almost anyone um, so that makes it easier for me to do things than almost any other person. Um, and then there's also the matter I think that comes up around just like uh, around class privilege, which is that um, you know I I it's not you know I definitely had to work and make money to support myself, but I also had the privilege that like that I had parents who were totally happy to have me move back home. Um, and had the financial abilities to continue to have me live there and eat the food out of their fridge and not support, not pay any money to them for the use of the housing um, and use the internet and all these various things. Right, that that like while I was in the process of failing deep rebuilding, that the worst case scenario at any, at any given moment was that I was going to move home where I was going to you know have a clean, dry place to sleep and have access to three square meals a day. Um, I never had to worry about whether or not I was going to have a place to sleep if I couldn't pay my rent or if I was going to like have food put in my mouth next week. Um, so just that kind of just like baseline privilege, shall we call it, um, it, just, it just feels important to acknowledge. Yeah, completely. There, there are multiple safety nets involved there. And I feel like that's the case for, for most people who sort of confidently make this decision to not go to college. Um, and, and if we don't talk about the fact that those safety nets exist, then we're kind of painting this Horatio Alger story that is – um, that is way oversimplified, dangerously so sometimes. Definitely. Sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, when you do share your story about skipping college and, and when you acknowledge these these points that we were just talking about, about you know having that, that, that thing that you want to get up in the morning and, and go work on really hard and or privilege also, beyond that, do you ever find yourself giving advice to, to young people who are thinking about uh, taking a, a similar route? And, and if so, what, what's the advice that you give them? Right. So I would say that the first thing that I would say to someone is like, is that there has to be a level of acknowledgement that you're, you're, that you're choosing a road that, um, that's both gonna take more work and also that is going to make people around you who really care about you uncomfortable. Um, so because, you know, our, whatever, our parents, our grandparents, our close friends, they want the best for us. And so, and there's a tremendous amount of cultural narrative that if you don't go to college, your life's going to suck. Um, and, and so um, the way I go, I guess I would hold it out to people is, is you know, you're not, making, you're not making a choice that's the only choice you have to make in your life. You know, you can go back later and do this and go to college. Um, so rather than saying, oh, I'm like never going to go to college or I am going to go to college, 
you can say, I'm not going to go to college for a year. Um, and, and I'm going to like do this experiment and, and, and that, you know, more, um, bite-sized, uh, sort of challenge then can enable you to be like, okay, and these are the things that I want to try to explore in this year. And this is how I'm going to pay for this year. Um, and whatever, answer these questions that, that, uh, that some of the people in your life and even you probably have, and then we'll need to create answers for. So, yeah, the little experiment approach. So the other thing that just feels like really big for me is just part of my personal thesis on how we become who we are in the world is that you, we're just, at least my experience is that I'm just such a product of, of my environment. So like, who are the people that I'm spending time with every day, every week? And so little things like who are your roommates and who are your close friends? Like who are the people and are those people, like are you having like, are you staying up late having like really interesting conversations about things that you care about in the world? Or are you sitting around complaining about people, um, you know, the same people over and over again, every night, every week. Um, and so just as like things to pay attention to and things that when you're like, you know, in the same way that I talked about, like making job choices based on their educational value, like, yeah, like who are you hanging out with and do they like, do they inspire you? Like, it's just like one benchmark. Um, and so, and, yeah. And I feel like if you don't have those inspiring people around you, making a really concerted effort to go discover them and like believing that they're out there and not it, it, just putting up with the, the social group that you've been given by accident of birth. Yeah, exactly. And, and that like, you know, hard choices are often the most important ones. Um, and so, you know, um, moving out of your apartment with a roommate that you know really well and are, and are comfortable with, but that you just like feel like you co-create a toxic environment with, um, you know, just having, having the strength to be like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to find a different living situation myself, or I'm going to move to a different city or whatever, whatever. Sometimes those are like some of those bolder, bigger pieces, um, that, that they can just be really important moments of like direction change. Sean, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for being a guest. Yeah, it's been great to be here. If you enjoyed this ad-free podcast, there are many ways you can support it. You can write a review on iTunes. You can share it on social media. You can email it to someone who might benefit from it. Or you can support it directly with a per-episode donation at offtraillearning.com slash support.